Hey everyone, welcome to this week's release of the Hashrate Happy Hour podcast. On today's show, I'm joined by Kerry Langless, the CSO at TerraWolf, and we have a wide-ranging discussion on the benefits of Bitcoin mining at a nuclear power plant, exploring their relationship with energy generators, and how Bitcoin mining is helping drive the cost of electricity down. Today's podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, the Texas Blockchain Council, a Bitcoin-first, nonprofit industry organization working to make Texas the jurisdiction of choice for Bitcoin mining and blockchain innovation. They will be hosting North America's premier policy conference for Bitcoin and the digital asset ecosystem on November 15th through 17th in Fort Worth, Texas. For more information, please visit their website at texasblockchaincouncil.org. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Like I said in the introduction, I have Carrie Langless at TerraWolf joining me for today's discussion. Carrie, welcome to the show. Hey, Ben. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on. I'm I'm very, very excited to have you on. I TerraWolf is one of those Bitcoin mining companies that everybody gets to hear about. You guys have such impressive facilities and infrastructure and strategy. So I'm I'm excited to nerd out and uh, ask you a bunch of questions today. <laughs> All right. Um, I think you know what would be helpful for me and the audience as well is, you know, maybe just to jump into your background. I sure. I would love to hear not only your background, but how did that lead you into this crazy world of Bitcoin mining? Sure. Um, well, not to be careful not to age myself, Ben. Um, I will say that I've spent you know the last 20 plus years in the energy and infrastructure space. And about half of that has been on the advisory side. Uh, I worked at Goldman Sachs for, for over a decade. And then the other half has been uh, in, on the private side, you know, um, developing, operating, uh, and managing energy infrastructure assets and primarily power. And then more recently, uh, launching this public company, TerraWolf, which is a zero carbon Bitcoin miner. Um, you know, I think one of the unique things about my background and our team's background is that we've been together a very long time. Um, most of us have been working alongside one another for 15 plus years in the energy infrastructure space. So as we came into Bitcoin mining, it wasn't as if we assembled a team to take advantage of an opportunity. We had been actively working and developing and operating assets in the space. And this, you know, believe it or not, was a natural segue to the business that we were in. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, so I, you know, want to dive into, obviously we're, we're here to talk about TerraWolf. Um, so for, for the audience that may not nerd out as much as myself over who TerraWolf is, or maybe they just live under a rock, I'm not sure. Could you maybe give us a, a high level overview of the company and what you guys do? Sure. So again, our background is in energy infrastructure. So, you know, five years ago, we were a private company um, that operated a portfolio of power plants, and they were primarily thermal, so coal and gas plants across the U.S. and even overseas. Um, we got to a point where we were looking to transition our portfolio away from uh, carbon-emitting fuels and into renewables. And uh, so we're, we're looking to redevelop our sites and retire our facilities. And in that process, you know, there's a tremendous amount of value that's uh, inherent in these sites, interconnection equipment uh, to the grid, 
tremendous amount of capital that a lot of ratepayers have invested in these sites. And so we were trying to figure out how to transition them away from from fossil fuel and into um, something that could enable the decarbonization of grid. And guess what? It turns out that Bitcoin mining is maybe the purest form uh, of an enabling solution to do that. And so we formed TerraWolf uh, in 2020. We took the company public in, in 2021. And with the mission and the strategy to mine Bitcoin at scale uh, and, and do it using zero, 100% zero carbon energy. Um, we have two sites. Uh, our first site is located in upstate New York. It's actually the site of the last standing uh, coal plant in the state of New York, right on the sh shores of Lake Ontario. Uh, we converted that site from a coal plant. We decommissioned the plant, retired it. Um, and took care of the site in, in, you know, in conjunction and cooperation with the state. And we've now repurposed that. And we've got today 60 megawatts of Bitcoin mining operating now. We're about to expand it to 110 megawatts. And by the way, that was a, you know, close to 700 megawatt coal plant that mm. was putting power onto the grid. And we can actually facilitate up to 500 megawatts of Bitcoin mining at that site. <clears throat> the site is located uh, less than 20 miles from Niagara Hydro, which is, you know, a two and a half gigawatt hydro plant that's pumping out a tremendous amount of renewable resources every day. And so we're taking advantage of that, what is often stranded power that's passing our front doorstep every day. Our second site is located in central Pennsylvania, and it's directly connected to a two and a half gigawatt nuclear power facility. It's actually the first Bitcoin mining facility to be directly connected to and 100% sourcing nuclear power in the United States. So it was actually pretty monumental for us when we announced the energization of that facility uh, in late March of this year. Uh, we've got 50 megawatts operating there today. Uh, and we're about, we have the ability to expand it by another 100 megawatts. Wow. Yeah. And, and this is what I meant in that, that intro where I said your, your infrastructure is so impressive. Um, you mentioned you guys are a bunch of energy infrastructure um, folks and, and experts. I, I have to ask, when you guys were looking at kind of that decarbonization of your, your energy production assets, and you said, oh, Bitcoin just was like a light bulb moment for you. Was was the approach that Bitcoin was just like this silver bullet and maybe touch on that a little bit more? Or was it just you guys were looking at kind of the next thing and Bitcoin mining, you know, happened to check that box. And, well, you know so much about energy that, you know, we know mm -hmm. how to, to look, have the lowest cost of production possible. Could you maybe just expand on that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. You know, we were looking for high intensity loads to put on site. And, you know, data centers come to mind. The thing with data centers is that, you know, if you think about Google or Yahoo, th those timelines are usually two to three years out, right? They're developing yeah. their facilities, um, you know, so, so to jump into that space is, is something that's very time consuming. You know, coincidentally enough, we were actually approached um, about Bitcoin mining. It was a sort of a reverse inquiry where someone wanted us to help them, uh, Marathon, now Marathon Digital, at the time it was Marathon Patent Group, um, their former CEO, Merrick Akimoto, had just purchased a bunch of miners, uh, didn't have an energy background, nor did he have an executive team supporting him. And he approached us and said, hey, listen, I've got a bunch of miners. Can you help me design, build, and uh, operate a mining facility? And oh, by the way, can you help us secure the power? 
Um, so in a matter of less than a year, we built what was Marathon's first mining facility in Montana. You know, everything from designing the facility, doing all the risk mitigation, insurance, procurement, um, operations, troubleshooting, everything. And at the you know, at the end of that process, it became evident to us that at the core of Bitcoin mining is energy infrastructure. And that's what we've been doing for decades. We know how to site um, facilities to secure power, both at scale and at term. Uh, and we can do that in the lowest cost way. And so we said to ourselves, you know, uh, why are we doing this for ourselves? This makes perfect sense. And <laughs> yeah. so on the, on the tail end of that experience, we formed TerraWolf. And, and the important part for us was to ensure that what we were doing at TerraWolf was zero carbon. Because in our view, there's no reason why Bitcoin mining can't be 100% zero carbon. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of stranded resources, and it can actually be enabling towards the goal of reaching decarbonization for the grid overall. And and was that just insight from your guys' background of, you know, renewable and and or zero emission type generation just has a tendency to overproduce either at certain times of the day or, or in certain areas? Is that why or? Just curious. Well, you know, the reality is, is that if you look at the at the largest renewable resources, the biggest scale ones, they're typically in remote locations that don't have a lot of demand around them. And so at this time, you know, where we sit today, you know, battery storage has come a long way, but it's not there yet. Uh, and there's really no way to get that energy transported long distances nor to store it. If you think about Bitcoin, it's actually converting that energy into a store of value like a battery would. Yeah. And so you take what was a local commodity that couldn't travel very far and couldn't be stored, and you're converting it into the ultimate store of value in Bitcoin that can be traded around the world. Um, and so that's what really hit us. In terms of thinking about, you know, we were in the conversion game, right? We were converting electrons and or fuel sources into electrons. Now we're converting electrons into Bitcoin. And so it's it, at the end of the day, it's really the same business. And we built. We're builders. Yeah. Um, we, we know how to. We have the engineers on our team. We build. We operate. We dismantle. We repower. We do it all over again. So this is the business we're in. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, yeah, and and very well said. I, you know. One of the things that comes to mind, especially with like the renewable is, you know, the the cost of power. And I actually I had one of my guests tell me that he is under the impression that give it like 20, 30 years, you're actually going to see the cost of electricity go to zero just from renewable. So one thing that tends to come up is is cost of power. And I, you know, I'm still trying to figure out if it's just an education thing. So you hear a lot of people say, well, Bitcoin mining takes up so much power and it's going to drive up power costs for everybody. Does that hold any water? Does that make any sense? You know, I think the people, and, and this isn't meant to be derogatory anyway, but there, there's a fundamental misunderstanding with how the grid works. And so I think, you know, people love to make these sort of salacious comparisons, like it's using as much energy as a small country yeah. or whatever it might be. And those are the things that get, you know, clicks and headlines and all that sort of stuff. But what people don't in take into consideration is that if you think about the energy grid, it's a fixed cost system, right? And so ratepayers invested a ton of money to build the infrastructure, to build the power plants, um, and all the enabling distribution around it. That's all fixed cost, right? And so if you have facilities where it's not actually getting the number 
uh, it's not being absorbed and it's not being realized. Um, it's, you know, the denominator is less. So you're spreading those fixed costs over fewer people fewer users, which means that the price goes up, right? Yeah. If you have a substantial load that's able to absorb that energy at times when, you know, the normal consumer doesn't need them, for example, during the middle of the day, then you're creating a base that can absorb that fixed cost over, you know, a larger um, denominator. And so the idea that um, Bitcoin mining just consumes, you know, too much energy. I think one, we need to get away from the discussion of, you know, what energy is appropriate to be used for what. Um, but I also think that it's, it's not just about how much a load consumes, but when it consumes it and the ability for that load to sort of curtail or scale back its, its um, consumption when there are periods of high demand. And that's exactly what Bitcoin mining can do. Yeah, I think it's also has to do with, you know, people understanding that it's it's not a consumption problem because we can produce the power. We can, produ- we can produce it. Right. it. It's a transmission problem. It's, you know, it's all these other things that are, are what either drive up the costs or make it seem like we don't have the the electrical capacity, you know, or, I think another thing that gets pointed to so quickly is like the brownouts and blackouts out in California and winter storms down in Texas that, you know, knock out big chunks of power that, you know, those things all kind of get wrapped into this narrative and in kind of a twisted way. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, listen, location is everything. When you talk about Bitcoin mining, you need to be sited in a place where there's a supply and demand imbalance. And that way the facility can actually serve as a tool to the grid. Yeah. The second, you know, you locate a facility where there's already uh, strained demand, where there's an, you know, there's not an imbalance, it's not going to work because you're going to increase prices, and uh, it's, you know, in in Bitcoin miners by definition are driven to find the least cost power, right? So they're driven to locations where it doesn't matter where you are, what time of day, they don't care, uh, and so you can put them in as remote a place as you want to be. Um, and, and get and absorb that low cost energy, it's not going to be in places where it's going to have an impact on the power price because then it just won't work. Yeah. Because again, the biggest cost to mine a Bitcoin is the cost of power. As soon as that power goes up for a Bitcoin miner, they're going to go out of business. That's right. Well, and yeah, I mean, you, you're, you're touching on it and we just call it, you know, it's price signaling to, to, mm-hmm. you know, a fair and open market. And I mean, I'm up in Minnesota. There's a reason that there are no institutional size or industrial sized mining operations here and it's the the rate <laughs> people right. people can't exactly. operate at scale on our rate and so they just don't set up camp here um mm-hmm. so carrie i mentioned at the open that i, I was going to kind of just ask you a bunch of questions i i don't have a good segue into this next question other than to just ask it what what type of a service or, or what services can bitcoin mining provide directly at the meter well i think you guys are behind the meter at the the nuclear plant, so I mean, maybe yeah, we're t- behind yeah. the meter at the nuclear, but in in New York, we're connected to the grid, um, and you know, we're becoming increasingly integrated with the grid as we continue to add ancillary services, is is how we refer to them. Um, so right now, we're enrolled in three different programs. The first program is a demand response program, and what that means is that um, we will get a fixed capacity payment in exchange for the ability to reduce our uh, consumption of power with, within a, you know, a few hours notice. So 
the NISO grid operator reaches out to us and says, you know what, temperature's spiking, we're expecting demand to spike, we need you guys to roll back, even come off um, within the next three hours. And in exchange for that, we'll get, you know, a capacity payment, which is effectively the same thing that a power plant would get and receive an exchange. Um, the second type of program is called an operating reserve program. That's less predictable because they're expecting you to respond within 10 to, mi- 10 to 15 minutes of a signal. And so, um, you know, that responsive time is, is quick. But you know what? Bitcoin mining facilities can come off in a matter of minutes, if not seconds. Yeah. Um, and, the, and the last program that, that we have in the state of New York is, is frequency response. And that's, that's where it basically uh, your response time is in seconds. And so that's sort of the capstone of all of the programs. And they're sort of layered by uh, ability to respond within a certain time frame. So you go from hours to minutes to seconds, and then you're compensating, compensated accordingly. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, those, those services are so beneficial. Uh, yeah, it it's again, I think it's an education thing for, you know, a lot of people to understand just how beneficial those services are. And then, you know, what what ultimately that leads to for you is is a cheaper cost of power because you're providing such a service. Right. And, and if you think about it, the grid was designed to meet peak demand. Right. So and there's only maybe a couple of hundred hours a year that that were at peak demand. The rest of the time, there's usually excess of supply. And so, you know, 5% of the time, uh, if we're curtailing at, at periods when the prices would be so high anyway, it's sort of a win-win uh, for both the Bitcoin mining facility and the grid. Yeah. Is there anything special or, or different um, at the, the nuclear plant in terms of like either demand response? I mean, I... Maybe the demand response looks different because you're right. You're right at the site. Yeah, yeah. we actually don't participate in dis- demand since we're behind the meter, and that that capacity per se is not being offered to the grid. It's being utilized by the Bitcoin mine. We're not eligible to participate in demand response programs like we are in New York because we're connected to the grid. Okay, so could you touch on, or maybe shed a little bit of light on what that relationship looks like then at the nuclear plant? Sure. I mean, in the case of the nuclear plant um, and the reason why, you know, Bitcoin mining is such a valuable tool for Susquehanna to have on its site, to have co-located there is, again, if you think about a nuclear power station, they're enormous. They have a tremendous amount of fixed costs. For a two and a half gigawatt facility, I think there may be 1,600 employees that are operating that plant. The other thing is they were plant, they were designed to operate 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They weren't designed to be, you know, ramped up or ramped down. They, they sort of get to their steady state and they're, and they're designed to stay there. And so as you think about the fluctuations in demand, especially with the, the influx of intermittent renewable resources, it's very difficult for that plant to economically justify staying at sort of a consistent steady level without sort of an anchor tenant. Um, if you think about the, the the plant's location, it's located in central Pennsylvania. It needs to either tra- travel southeast to Philly or west to Pittsburgh to reach the demand pockets. And so having, you know, what is now um, a 100 megawatt facility, so we have 50 megawatts, our partner Talon has 50 megawatts, um, what is now sort of a 100 megawatt anchor tenant to absorb those fixed costs and enable it to be 
more cost effective for the other consumers to, to receive power from that plant. And so, again, it's a very valuable component to have on site. You know, you hear about a lot of the, the government and federal subsidies that are being extended to nuclear facilities to help um, support um, the economic viability. To, you know, they're, they're a tremendous resource, a baseload resource that has zero carbon emittance. And so we're effectively alleviating Susquehanna from the need to seek those types of subsidies to stay in business. Yeah. Is the narrative around nuclear getting better? Do you, I, just curious. <laughs> I, I, used, I think yeah. so. You know, I think um, there's always the question, you know, people are, we're, we're careful about referring to uh, nuclear as green because there's a lot of debate about whether it's truly um, a renewable resource. It is mm. clean, right? It's it's undeniably clean. Yeah. There is zero carbon. And then I think in terms of um, just the general acceptance of it, I mean, you go to these locations and there's there's entire communities built around them uh, that, that sort of thrive on their existence. And again, I mentioned there's such huge employment factors yeah. for those areas. And so I think again, it can be it can be a polarizing conversation, but I think for the most part, people are starting to appreciate that if we want to live in a decarbonized world, the base load renewable resources, whether it's hydro or nuclear, have to be part of the equation. Uh, there's no there's no scenario where they're not. Yeah, yeah. I was just curious. I mean, being plugged in to a nuclear facility was just curious. You know, for your perspective on like the narrative around around nuclear, um, I think you're seeing a lot in Europe. Well, maybe not yet, but I, I think, you know, they're, they're probably going to feel some of the ramifications of turning plants off. Um, and yeah, I think that's right. I mean, to, to be honest with you, we, most of the feedback that we have has been in tremendous support. Like every now and then you'll get someone that's um, negative or conservative on the use of nuclear, but by, by far the feedback, you know, especially being the first Bitcoin mining facility, to be 100% powered by nuclear. Uh, we got tremendous accolades for that. And uh, we're obviously super proud of it. But I think people are much more in support because once you understand the enabling factor, not only of a Bitcoin facility helping sustain the economic viability of a nuclear power plant, but then you understand how a nuclear power plant fits into the equation of decarbonization when you have wind that only blows at night and the sun that shines during the day, the nuclear facility is, is like I said, running around the clock. Yeah. And so I think once people put that together, the value um, prospect of nuclear energy becomes very clear. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's funny. I'm, I'm sitting here actually thinking we have two nuclear plants in Minnesota and you don't hear anything. I, I don't, it never hits my radar as far <laughs> as news or anything like that. So yeah, it's uh I am I'm very excited about the the prospect of nuclear and bitcoin mining together. I think like you said it it helps alleviate a lot of government subsidy type activity. Mm -hmm. Um it it builds out this, you know, robust base load for the the power plant to actually direct that power so it can run optimally. A lot of cool benefits there. Um Yeah, and also that you know, you think about just sort of validating our sector, right? Bitcoin. There is no more regulated or, you know, security uh, sustained business than being a nuclear power generator. And so to get comfortable with citing um, an, an, a nuclear, uh, sorry, a Bitcoin mining facility, co-locating it with um, a nuclear power facility, I mean, 
the value equation there has been clear, right? And so I think, and also for just to validate our sector as Bitcoin miners and how we're enabling and how it makes sense. I think that's kind of a true testament. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. Support for this episode comes from Sunnyside Digital. Are you ready for the next Bitcoin bull run? Get ahead of the game by building out your Bitcoin mining infrastructure now. Sunnyside Digital is your one-stop shop for everything Bitcoin mining, from transformers and switchgear to racks and miners. With a white-glove approach to understanding your needs, they'll provide you with the hardware you need at the most competitive pricing possible. Say goodbye to your sourcing headaches and say hello to Sunnyside Digital. Contact their sales team today at sunnysideinc.ca or via email at sales at sunnysideinc.ca. All right, now back to the show. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that anymore. Um, and kind of along the same thread, ESG, that's a, it's a huge mandate for you guys. It's, it's getting a lot of limelight recently, um, just in news and, and all sorts of things. Um, I'd love to hear your perspective and your thoughts on, are you guys seeing any material changes in like Bitcoin as it pertains to ESG or is there still, are we still butting heads with the ESG narrative? More specifically, no, the, know, the E think, part of that. You know, for me, as sort of the strategy officer for the company, um, ESG has been paramount um, from the day that you know the company was was you know originally uh, established, and that wasn't because ESG was like cool or like that you know everybody was talking about it and it was just like the flavor of the moment. It was because that's the way we had sort of been doing business throughout our careers. Um, you know, many of the senior executives at Terra Wolf are, are women, as, as well as represented on our board. Uh, we have great diversity in our team. And again, that's not by design. That's just the group of people and the talent that we've accumulated and the team that we have been over the last, you know, several decades. So that's number one. And then in terms of the E part of the equation, um, it's really foundational for what we do. I think we were a little bit disappointed. We went public, as I mentioned, in December of 2021, which is like the good news and it was the bad news, right? We got in right before the market evaporated, but we also you know, went public on a plan to build. And so to build, we needed to raise more capital. And so that took a lot longer than, than anyone would have hoped. Um, and I think during that time, we were kind of a little bit disappointed because the ESG that, you know, the the attention towards ESG kind of fell away from investors' mind. I think they were more concerned with survivability. And like, yeah, if you're if you're ESG, that's great. That's like gravy on top of that's not our priority. And I think we're starting to shift back again. I think that certainly people are and for us, like we never took our foot off the gas. Yeah. That's been paramount to what we do. Um, and so we sort of, you know, we kept that going. Um because it was the right thing to do. I think the other thing, you know, for us, when we think about the E part of the equation, you know, I think whether, you know, I don't know if it's going to be this month, this year, next year, five years, but I do think that eventually mining with fossil fuels is going to become politically untenable. Um, and so, you know, and it's also, you know, when you mine with fossil fuels, it's it's more expensive and it add, adds risk, right? You have vulnerability to, to gas price volatility. Yes. We've seen what's happened in Texas. Yep. Um, you have get cash tied up in collateral to support that volatility. Um, 
you know, emitting carbon's expensive, right? Uh, and and then finally, they're becoming. The reality is is that fossil fuel plants are becoming more difficult to even insure. Uh, many of the insurance oh. insurers are are avoiding any any um, you know any contact with particularly with coal for sure, but but more and more uh, with any fossil fuel. So interesting. I didn't know that last portion of it. That's that's interesting. Yeah, that's yeah. definitely gonna. It's definitely going to make the push um, more prevalent. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for us, I mean, listen, zero carbon is the the right thing to do. But for us, and again, as I mentioned before, Bitcoin miners are nationally incentivized to buy, find the lowest cost power. The lowest cost power is is the power that has zero production cost. Right? It's renewable. It's generated from the sun, the wind, you know, moving water, etc. So. We're naturally incentivized to go there. Um, and so it sort of makes sense from multiple angles as you think about our business model. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so again, kind of jumping around a little bit in the the questions and the conversation mm-hmm. here. Um, talk to me a little bit about the local economies that you guys are in. Because um, you guys aren't, you're not in the, the biggest cities, just again, just given right. where you need to you know, be producing the power and where, where your sites are located. How are the, the local economies receiving it and, and receiving yeah, the Bitcoin? Listen, that, that's another reason why I said location is everything. Um, I think our, our facility in upstate New York is a, a phenomenal example of um, the relationship that we have with our, that one or a Bitcoin miner can have with, a, with its community and, and, and certainly that we have with our community in upstate New York. Um, again, that was the site of a coal plant that had a more than 50 year history, right, of of providing jobs and industry for providing tax revenue. Uh, it was a big hit to that community when the plant was retired in 2020. Um, and what we've been able to do is actually rehire and retrain many of those same employees and, and, and now this sort of fast-moving, fast-paced next phase of technology, which is Bitcoin. And so we have many people on our team that are either multi-generational. We've had grandfather, son, grandson. Oh, wow. uh, we have a father-daughter team um, at Lake Mariner today. And so I think, you know, your relationship in, with a community is only going to be uh, what you give to it and, and sort of the, the, the give and take, right? And so we are very much involved in every aspect. And I think the same goes in Pennsylvania. You know, we and our partner, you know, our partner is the owner of the Susquehanna plant. They employ a tremendous amount of, of staff there. Um, but making sure that the local and the communities are educated, and what we're doing and why we're doing it and how it's being done. You know, the worst thing that we think could happen is like there to be some mystery around it. Like, oh, we hear there's a Bitcoin mining facility. Like, what's that all mean? <laughs> and it's like scary stuff. So so the ability to engage with, invite the community in, show them what we're doing, yeah. offer site visits. Uh, our team is very proud. And so a lot of our team members are either referring other people to, to come join our team um, but there's a real feel-good spirit to what we're doing, and that's what we're trying to make sure. Any any location that we go to, because we are using our team, uh, we're not hiring a third-party service. They're our team, and so we want everybody to feel equally as invested in the company and proud of it. Sure, and I would imagine that's a lot of upfront work involved in that. I'm, I mean, it's not like you guys get set up and then 
hope the community accepts you, right? Yeah, and, and that's that's the problem, right? That that, that has been yeah. some of the challenges that some of our peers have faced, right? Because it's very difficult to assemble a team on the fly, have a sense of culture, have a sense of cohesiveness. And so I think we benefit, and, and one of the key distinguishing factors for us relative to some of our peers is our team, right? We've been together for so long, working alongside each other. Each one of us brings a different skill set to the group. Um, you know, we, we sort of know how to solve problems together and we've built out a great team. And now the team that used to be applying themselves to operating power plants has now transitioned uh, and has learned a new skill set and is now operating Bitcoin mining facilities. So everyone's learning and growing. And I think as long as we can keep that going, um, you know, the sky's the limit. Um, I'm super excited about that type of a future too. Um, I'd love for you to to maybe just as we're kind of wrapping and winding down the, the conversation, I'd love for you to give a look at like, what is the one to five year future look like for, for Terra Wolf? What, what's on the horizon? Maybe you can tease, tease out, you know, what is, what does the future look like? So listen, we're approaching a happening here uh -huh. um, in less than a year. And so, you know, maintaining our profitability is first and forefront on our, you know, objectives. And so coupled with that, though, um, you want to take advantage of, of expanding. And I think one of, you know, the valuable things that our, our platform has is the ability to scale. We don't have to find another location or acquire another facility. We can grow exponentially at our existing sites. So for us... You know, you think about the next 12 months, which will be obviously defined by the happening and, and maintaining our profitability and being opportunistic about scaling during that time. Um, but then it's about developing and growing and expanding our platform. So I mentioned at the outset that we can, we can build up to a 500 megawatt facility in upstate New York. Similarly, in Pennsylvania, um, you know, we've got 50 megawatts today, an option on another 50 megawatts, but that's a two and a half gigawatt um, nuclear yeah. facility, right? Um, and so that's where we're focused. We're, we're, we're focused on being financially disciplined to ride through cycles. We're energy, you know, we're energy people. We know what cycles are like. We know how to be disciplined. And then taking advantage of our skill set and our ability to develop so that we can be sort of on the way up when the market turns. And I think that it's one of the things I appreciate the most about your guys' strategy is that you're really taking care of home base. And like mm -hmm. you said, building and expanding within your home base and making that as robust as physically possible. Are there, so what comes to mind is we, we have a coal site down in Southern Minnesota that was also decommissioned end of 21, maybe in 2022. Mm -hmm. And I think that they just, I mean, they just shut it down. I don't think that right. they, I don't think anyone moved in to do anything unique with it. Are things like that as like, maybe that's on certainly. the 10 year horizon? Oh, certainly. I mean, we are always evaluating um, other sites that have that supply demand imbalance that maybe benefit from existing infrastructure that has been abandoned uh, or is being transitioned away from a prior use. But again, it all depends on location. It has to make sense yeah. to add a load to that location and not be a strain on the grid. So as long as it sort of checks all that, all those boxes, sustainable, scalable, that we can build it out further 
and that it's, you know, it checks, checks the zero carbon box, then, then absolutely. Yeah, that that's fantastic. I, yeah, I think just the, the conversations happening at, at that level and, and at the level, you know, with the utility companies or the, the owner, like the ownership groups of the, the generation assets is, yeah, that it, it's going to be cool to see what, what you guys do at Terra Wolf. It's going to be see, you know cool to see this industry continue to grow and expand. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's never a dull moment and there's so much work to be done um, that, you know, we can keep going here for a long time and that's what, what excites us for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Carrie, I, I've really appreciated our time in this conversation. Um, I, I do always like to leave a little bit of room at the end for, for guests to give a handoff for, you know, either yourself, if, if you want to, to, you know, let guests be able to get in touch with you directly, or maybe, you know, find Tara Wolf, um, or if there's, you know, anything, before we sign off that you wanted to touch on that maybe I, I didn't ask about or that. No, listen, I, I think, I think we, I think we've touched on a lot of different things. I think for us, um, you know, just to leave people with why Terra Wolf is in our minds um, sort of different than a lot of the comps out there. It's, it's, you know, the fact that we're vertically integrated, right? We control our destiny both on the way up and then mitigating risk on the way down. Um, we're zero carbon, and what that means is that we're the lowest marginal cost provider, right? So for each Bitcoin we produce, we're, we're creating the, be- the the largest profit relative to the market price. And then our team, right? Where our team is is expert at procuring power, uh, making sure we do it at scale and at term, at building facilities, at operating facilities. And so I think that if those are the takeaways that the, you know the audience has from from who is Tara Wolf, I'll be very excited, and then I'd be even more excited if they followed us on on Twitter. Um, we're at TaraWolfInc.com. Um, I'm also on Twitter. I'm new to Twitter, so I'm still getting the hang of it all. <laughs> this is very different. This uh, social media presence in this industry is very different I'm, than. Yeah. Are than you my- on Telegram yet? I am on Telegram. Oh boy. I'm on them all. So, <laughs> um, so yeah. So you can follow me on Twitter as well, or find me on LinkedIn. Um, our website, people can sign up for our newsletter. We put out our newsletter usually more than uh, you know, maybe one or two times a month, but certainly every month. Um, so that's a good way to get our monthly operating reports and just the latest and greatest on what we're up to. Awesome, Carrie. I appreciate this immensely. This has been a phenomenal conversation. Um, like I said, and, and like you touched on, I, I love everything you guys are doing. Um, excited to see you grow and expand and really, uh, continue doing what you guys are doing. So thank you. Thank I you. appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thanks, Ben. All right. Take care.